From the gray homestead in the heart of the Ozarks, this is Front Porch Anarchast. We're spreading the ideas of freedom and liberty from the front porch one episode at a time. Front Porch Anarchast. Freedom starts on your own front porch. And this episode starts now. I heartily accept the motto that government is best which governs least. Carried out, it finally amounts to this, which also I believe, that government is best which governs not at all. Hello, my name is Richard. I am an anarchist. This is my podcast. I do call it Front Porch Anarchast. Front Porch because... I present it in a casual, conversational manner, much like I would if we were having a conversation on my front porch, Anarchast, because it's a podcast about anarchy. Anarchy podcast. Anarchy cast. Anarchast. To me, that sounds pretty simple, uh, but there are quite a few statists that uh, they want to latch on... uh, They want to latch on to the spelling there, my play on words, if you will. And, um, you know, their main argument against anarchy is that I misspelled the name of my podcast. Supposedly, they believe I was trying to spell Front Porch Anarchist. And they, um, you know, that's their catch-all, their gotcha moment. And they, uh, they message me with... You need to learn how to spell anarchist, or learn to spell anarchist, or you misspelled anarchist. No, goofball. I spelled the name of my podcast completely correct. If you're wrong about that, what else could you be wrong about? Usually I hear crickets, but it's like, since I spelled the name of the podcast, Anarchast, that that proves somehow that statism. If you are a returning listener... I do appreciate your loyalty. I probably don't deserve that, but thank you anyway. I know there are a few of you guys that come back time after time. Thank you. I actually get some some encouraging emails and messages every now and then telling me to keep up the uh, keep up the podcast. For the new listeners, hello, glad you're here. I do have a request. Before you completely write me off as a lunatic or a, uh, a complete idiot, just listen to this whole episode. Just make it all the way through. Torture yourself that much and just stick with it. I believe that the majority of people who find Front Porch Anarchast, they're looking for something. They, they want to kind of step out of the statist box. They, they know that they're not really on board with the authoritarianism and the in the world and they're looking for something else so they stumble across it or or they see some comment I've made on some on some news channel's Facebook post or something and it you know they they just want to hear a little bit more and I think some of you guys find it that way and then there are some people who just listen to this to um, to try to prove to themselves that I am an idiot and you know hey you don't have to go through that much trouble to prove that I'm an idiot but you know, the whole idea of anarchy is, it, to me, it's just common sense. I mean, you know, no matter if I'm an idiot or not, being personally responsible for yourself isn't a bad idea. And leaving other people alone 
isn't a bad idea. So me being an idiot and a fan of anarchy, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know why one has to be the other. Why you have to have one for the other to be true? Anyway. It's been a while since the last episode of Front Porch Anarchast, and if you're a new listener, you have you have no frame of reference there. I usually I try to do one of these at least once once every three months, once every four months, but it's been a while since the last one. It's probably going on six months now, five months, and it's you know I've got a life. It's the springtime now, so we're trying to get all the plants in the ground. Jennifer did a really good job this year. She, I think she had like 1,300 plants at one point, maybe more than that, that she started inside and and in the greenhouse. And she sold some of those. And I'm looking now because I'm sitting outside here and I'm looking out there and there are still probably a couple of hundred plants that need to be planted. She's She's planted some of them. And there are so many, uh, there's so many blueberry bushes right here in front of the expedition and two strawberry patches. Then we have the chickens that we have to take care of. We have a couple of dogs. It's pretty time consuming around here. And, and I know the podcast doesn't seem like that much. You know, I don't have guests. I don't do any research whatsoever, you know, and it shows. But there is, you know, I have to get mentally ready for it. And like right now it's... It's after uh, 11 o'clock at night. I've worked all day. And I also have a, I have a side gig where I make vinyl decals and, uh, and t-shirts. And that's all time-consuming. Everything is time-consuming. I realize everybody has the same kind of problems in their lives. But just trying to explain about the length in between the episodes of Front Porch Anarchist. After I record this... I'll record more than I need, and then I have to edit out all the ums and ahs, most of those anyway. I edit out most of the cars driving by because I am sitting outside and we live on a corner. And that'll take me a couple of hours to edit that. So, it takes a lot to go into an episode of this. I I wish I could record these going down the road, but if I did that, there would be very few people who would want to listen to that because it's just, the, the sound is annoying. So, yeah, it's been a while since the last episode. The world is burning once again. The uh, the Russians invaded Ukraine. Elon Musk was buying Twitter. Now he's in the middle of some kind of a sexual scandal. Paid somebody off. Joe Biden is sending $40 billion to Ukraine. Nobody can find baby formula. Oh, the, the COVID seems to be over. And now it is monkeypox. I'm not even making that one up. Monkeypox? So maybe I should start doing more shows if I can find the time. That way I can just... I can comment on each one of these things instead of like in this episode. Pretty much, you know, I, I've said just about all I can about that. About those things in such in such a short amount of time. Unless you want to listen for three hours. But I'm not going to talk for three hours. For one reason, I have to go to sleep so I can get up again in the morning and do this, you know, do this all over again. Not going to be doing that much longer, though. Um, that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> Something about the Great Resignation. 
We'll see how that one plays out. But for now, all I'm going to say about that is that uh, changes are coming. I've, um, I've changed up some things on my uh, social media pages and the, the page for the podcast. I have included the dreaded buy me a coffee. I don't like to ask for money, but time is a precious commodity. And the time I spend on this, I could be doing other things. So if, if you get any value at all out of the podcast and you want to uh, pitch me a few bucks, then um, just go to the, the page for the podcast, which is anchor.fm slash frontporchanarchast. And there's a link there to buy me a coffee so that you can donate some money. Pretty much whichever platform you're using this, you can find the um, you can find that link in the notes there and just click on that. Alternatively, if you would like vinyl decals, here's what I have. I have an anarchist starter pack with vinyl decals. These are decals that are cut out of vinyl. They're not printed with any kind of ink that's going to fade. They don't wash off. I've had some of these decals now for years. They don't peel off of glass. They barely peel off of coffee mugs, even though those get really hot. I've had some decals on coffee mugs now for, I don't know, a couple of years? A year at least. Oh, the big steel tumblers I've had um, going on three years now, and there's no, you know, they don't peel off. They're on there. They're stuck. But... The, the Anarchist Starter Pack for vinyl decals. Just a variety of different Anarchy A decals. And if you're comfortable sending me your address, I will send you a an Anarchist Decal Starter Pack for $5. And that includes shipping. And of course, you can, you can reach me on any of the major social media platforms and I'm front porch anarchist on all of those you know you can reach me through anything front porch anarchist even uh, even the gmail account is front porch anarchist at gmail.com so when I first started thinking about doing a new episode of front porch anarchist I was going to call it stealing Jesus because this was going to come out around Easter and as you can see that did not happen but I wasn't doing it from a religious standpoint. I just want just wanted to um, capitalize on the whole Easter thing. Maybe next year there will there will be a stealing Jesus episode. And I was really going to just concentrate mostly on on stealing, but but in the light in light of a few different things that have um, that have transpired over the last few days, some of the messages I've received and conversations I've had with people, I thought maybe I would just do another episode about what is anarchy. Because if you look through some of the social media and the the uh, podcast page, you'll see that uh, like my tagline or the uh, my mission statement, I guess you would say, is making anarchy a little less scary one episode at a time. And I kind of think that that's the direction that, that the podcast is going. I'm not going to convince anybody to you know, change from being an authoritarian or a full-on statist to being an anarchist. But what I can do is, is just present 
what I think anarchy is all about, and hopefully that would sway people to to look into it a little deeper. I think that's I think that's the direction that the podcast is going. As I've said it before, I'm not into all this. I'm not into the philosophies of great anarchist thinkers or political thinkers or anything like that. If you if you want to know more about what some dead guy thinks about anarchy or thought about anarchy in his time, then by all means go read a book about it. If you want to um, you know if you want to know what economists think about anarchy, that's fine. Go do that. You know, even contemporary people who are, you know, talking about anarchy versus authoritarianism, fine, go look at that. What I'm really interested in, though, is the practical, realistic application of of the idea of no state. And if you're new to the whole anarchy thing, state isn't just like a state in the United States. It's not a particular, um, you know, it's not like Arkansas, it's not like Missouri. When I say the state, I mean government. I mean a government that that is forced upon you. Obviously, you know, if you're a member of a church and, and you're in that voluntarily and you decide to go along with the governing body of the church, you know, that sort of government... That's fine. That's not the state. The state is the government that is forced upon you just based on what piece of the earth that you're standing on at the time. Most people have not, they haven't even considered life without the state. And that's that's pretty evident whenever, whenever I do make some sort of comment or I'm talking to somebody. One guy the other day when the statement was made that taxation is theft, the guy just, it was in a libertarian party group, and he just could not wrap his head around why someone would think that taxation is theft. He wanted to know how government programs were supposed to be funded if there were, if there were no taxes. He had never even considered that programs could be voluntarily funded by the people who want to fund those particular programs. Like, if he wanted to make sure people eat, then he could just donate money, or he could donate food, or he could make food, or, you know, he could he could partner with whoever he wanted to. Somebody's going to, there, there are all sorts of different programs, if you will, um, foundations and nonprofits. They're already... In operation, he could donate to any one of those, you know, for if he wanted to make sure people ate. I forgot what the one he wanted to know about in particular was. Oh, one of the things he was complaining about was the police. You know, how would that be funded? How would you fund the police if you didn't have any taxation? Well, subscriptions. I mean, if you, there are already security companies out there. If you were to abolish the police today, those People who have jobs as police could very well go to work for security companies tomorrow, or they could create their own security companies tomorrow. You employ them to watch after your stuff, and if one of them shoots your dog, when your dog is in your backyard and this guy just drives by and shoots your dog, you can fire that security company, 
and get a new one. It's really, you know, it could be done voluntarily. Try doing that with the um, with the government security forces. You can't fire them, and they won't let you hire a security company to do what they do. You can hire them to drive around your property and run people off, but you can't hire a security company to come chase down. Uh, for instance, if somebody came and and sawed off the um, the catalytic converter off of my car and I figure out who did it, I can't hire a security company to go to that person's property and recover that catalytic converter or if they've already sold it to, to recover that same amount of money from that person. I can't do that. The best they can do is report it to the police and then the police have to go take care of it. And I was just pointing this out to this guy, right? Like, there are different ways that we can fund everything. Anything that's important to you, you could do that. And, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I could think probably of half a dozen different ways to fund the roads without the state. Anyway, that particular guy, he went off and he was saying that that was all ridiculous and that, you know, if I think that would work, I should go to Seattle. But think about that. The police in Seattle... They failed the people who live in Seattle, right, during all the riots and the unrest and everything. So I'm not really sure why the guy used that as an example. Why would anybody use government failure as proof that anarchy wouldn't work? I mean, he, he was proving my point, right? Anarchy isn't a scary word, but people have been conditioned to believe that it's scary. I was having that discussion with somebody online, and... The guy's name, at least on Facebook, is um, Not Mike. And Not Mike pointed something out. Politicians do not want a word for no government or no rulers in their language. Because it goes against their whole being, right? It goes against the reason they're here. Why, why do they want anybody promoting that they shouldn't exist? And maybe I should back up some. And talk about the meaning of the word anarchy. Because what you're going to see a lot is that it that anarchy is chaos. That's going to be like the very first definition that, that you see in most dictionaries, right? Chaos. Well, it's the term's been hijacked on purpose, I'm sure, because for a politician to be a politician, the people he supposedly represents, they have to believe in they have to believe in the system that puts him into power. It's a big belief system. So they condition us to believe that we can't function without them. So, okay, go back to the beginning. What is anarchy? Anarchy just means no rulers. It's that simple. No rulers. Anarchy. No rulers. Here's a little bit. Here, here are a few examples of how I get there, Okay. What's an oligarchy? We've heard a lot about oligarchies since the Russians invaded Ukraine. Everybody's talking about the Russian oligarchs who are funding this war. And, you know, different governments in the world, they're going and seizing the, the capital of these oligarchs. But what's an oligarch? An oligarch is one of many rulers, right? Oligarchy is many rulers. Really simple. 
Oleg, many, or Oli, many, and Arki, which is rulers, many rulers. So you have oligarchies, and then you have, everybody's heard of a monarchy, right? What's that? That's one ruler. That's where one person rules over a lot of people. He's probably got different advisors that he listens to or whatever, but in the end, the one guy makes the decision. Where in an oligarchy, a bunch of people get together, they make the decisions. So where does that leave? Where does that leave anarchy? Where does that leave that? It just means none. No rulers. It's pretty simple. But every dictionary you look at is going to start with the very first definition of anarchy as chaos. Why is that? Well, the people in power, the rulers, want you to believe that there is going to be chaos if they don't exist. If the rulers don't exist. I could go into a long tirade about how people are conditioned to believe that. I'll try to be as quick as possible about it, because I'm sure I've done this before, and I'm sure I will do it again. But we're conditioned, at least in the U.S., from as soon as we can understand the concept, we are conditioned to believe that we need people to tell us what to do. A lot of people, the very first time that they run across this is in church, Outside of their outside of their immediate family, I'll, I'll have to say that because that's that's the first place where we learn where as long as you live under my roof, you're going to follow my rules, you know. And then you have the parents who just say because I said so. I had a woman block me because she and I we had some we had some issues on a Facebook conversation because um, she was a full on statist and she just didn't she. She couldn't wrap her head around the idea that people could exist without government. She just, she could not do that. And no matter how many times I explained my position, she just wasn't getting it. She ended up blocking me, and that was the end of the conversation. But I I really wish she would have continued that because it was just, it's really interesting listening to her trying to explain why men can govern other men, but they can't govern themselves. And a lot of statists, they have that they have that problem. They like to go into a circular argument about it. We need people to govern other people because they can't govern themselves. But those who govern are also people. To me, it makes no sense. But government wants you to think that. The politicians that are in power, the people that are in power, need you to believe that. So you get indoctrinated into it at a pretty early age, you know, first it's in your home, it's your mom or your dad, and that's something that we struggle with a lot here. You know, I have a hard time with three kids trying to explain to them when when I want them to stop doing something. I have a hard time with coming up with a, a good reason to want them to stop doing it other than because I said so. And man, sometimes you just want to say because I said so. But if it gets to a point because you have to say because I said so, you're ruling, you're not really you're you're not really helping the child. You're just forcing your views onto them. So 
I have three kids. I live in a small house on rainy days when I'm trying to do the decals and the t-shirts and, you know, I can't get away and do this. And my kids, they really like to talk. They have very vivid imaginations and they play a lot. They love Legos. They love Minecraft and they talk and sometimes I just need some quiet and I just want to say, shut up. You know, that's what I'm thinking is just be quiet. But if it gets to that point, I'm just being a ruler, right? But what I can explain is I'm trying to concentrate on some things with some very small details, and I just need them to be a little quieter. I'm not trying to stop them from playing. I'm just trying to keep them from infringing on my needs and my wants of a little bit of quiet. And it is a constant struggle. You know, if if you have some kid that runs out in the middle of the road and you go snatch them up and you bring them back, are you being a ruler? No, you're just trying to keep them safe. That's your job as a as a parent until they learn that they can't go play in the in the road. And you know what? I have three kids. We live at the corner, two busy roads here. My kids don't go into the road. Even the two-year-old doesn't go into the road. Now, I don't just let her... I almost said I don't just let them roam around. I do. We have a fenced-in yard, but there's part of the yard that's not fenced in. And even when we're out here, they don't they don't, they don't, don't get into the road. Sometimes we will let them ride their bicycles in the road, which sounds pretty bad when I say it out loud. But I'm always right there with them when they're riding their bicycles. And you should... You should see them. We can hear cars, you know, pretty far off because these cars are going 55 miles an hour. So we can hear cars when they're pretty far away. And where they ride it is around a corner here. So the car has to slow down first before it can make the 90 degree angle turn. Right. But if my kids hear a car coming and they are in that road, they will abandon the bicycles and run into the yard. And then I'll have to pick all the bicycles up and pull them out of the yard so that if the car come if the car actually does come this way, that that their bicycles aren't in the way. But you can have kids and not be an authoritarian. You know, I put food on their plate, I ask them to eat it. If they don't want to eat it, they don't have to eat it. Right? Why am I going to force them to eat something that they don't want to? I really want to say sometimes, that's what I made, you eat it. But you know, I wouldn't want somebody doing me that way, right? I know what I like. I know what I don't like. And one thing I've learned is, is that the kids, their tastes change over time. And if they're hungry, when they get hungry, they'll, you know, they'll tell me what they want to eat. And we'll see if we can make that happen. If you saw my kid, my kids, they're very active. They're very healthy. Um, they're not, you know, they're not overweight. They're not underweight. They're, in fact, they're probably... The baby, I don't know if she's tall for her size, but I would say the other two are probably tall for their size or for their age. So they end up eating pretty well without me forcing anything down their throats, which sometimes I just feel like doing because I don't want to cook, you know, five separate meals at one time. But we always we always make it happen. And, you know, it's because they have wants and needs just like anybody else does. All right, so I got totally off track on all of that. Back to anarchy and the definition of anarchy and the fact that politicians don't 
they don't want you to use the word anarchy. If you do use it, they want you to associate that with chaos. You get it first at home, then you get it probably a little bit in church. And then you get it both barrels when you start to public school. Can't speak to private school because I've never been to one. But public school starts day one with the indoctrination. You know it, I know it, we all know it, right? I mean, you get a Pledge of Allegiance, you get a flag, flags flying everywhere, flying, they're in separate class, in like every classroom there's a flag. They do a lot of, um, a lot of the teaching is centered around the, uh, the whole idea of a representative government. I could go on for days about that. How does one person represent the needs, the desires, and the wants of thousands of people, of tens of thousands of people? One man can't do that. If you've got a chef and you have one person who is a strict vegan and you have another person who is a strict carnivore who only eats meat, and we all have, we all know, vegans, you know, they don't want anything with animal products in it. How do you have one chef, one chef make one meal that satisfies both of those people? You don't. He has to, he has to make two completely separate meals, just like I, you know, just like sometimes I have to do for my kids. One, one chef cannot make one meal that fits the vegan and the carnivore. I don't know how politicians get people to believe that one man can represent thousands of other men. It starts with conditioning, though. And with the public schools, they have this method, and it, it's built in. They force your kids to go to their schools. Well, no, you can homeschool your kids. Yeah, in some instances you can. And in some instances, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops to make that happen. Luckily, where I live, I can tell them to pound sand. I don't have people wanting to come in my house and look at records about what my kids do and don't know. But you know what? I'll put my seven-year-old up against any other seven-year-old about, I say any other, the average. I'd put him up against the average seven-year-old in reading and in uh, mathematics. I would do that because the kid can read. And, you know, it's to a point where he's reading words that I I would have had no idea that he would even know. And sometimes he'll read a word, have no idea what it means, but he'll ask me, you know. But, but most of the time, he can figure it out in the context of whatever he's reading. And it's really, you know, it's amazing that that happens. And I could go on about that for days, if anybody is interested in listening to that. Watching my kids learn has been a tremendous, uh, it, it, it's been an eye-opening experience. I spent 13 years in public schools, kindergarten through 12th grade, and I pretty much knew by the time I was in 8th grade that I, that's about all I was going to learn, right? Went through the motions, had fairly decent grades, whatever. 
And I kind of felt like from the eighth grade on that it was just, you know, a waste of my time. And it probably was. I remember one year I had like, I don't remember if it was two study halls or three study halls, two home ec classes. And I worked in the library for an hour a day. And I did the self-study thing for an hour a day. And I did, uh, I worked in the office, the school office for an hour a day. My senior year of high school, I had one class to take. And that was English. The rest of the day, the other six classes was a waste. They were all a waste. So at the time, I probably thought, well, I'm too smart for all of this, right? But then I look at my kids, and we we don't do any structured learning. We, we teach them when the opportunities arise, when they have questions or whatever, and we let them go at it. And I'm looking at the seven-year-old, and I'm like, why do people send their kids to school to learn how to read if they just learn to read on their own? Why, why is this? I mean, we read to them at night. Jennifer reads to them most every night. And then eventually, they learn to read the books, and they're reading the books out loud. And then, you know, you just get the books a little more complicated, and next thing you know, they know how to read. I listen to my son reason out when he's trying to add numbers together or multiply numbers. And, you know, the conservatives that listen to this, the uh, the conspiracy theorists that have problems with um, common core math, they would be aghast. But my son, who knows nothing at all about common core or anything about any other methods of mathematics or whatever, when he starts talking to me, about how he figures out what 10 times 5 is or whatever, or 10 times 12, he's doing Common Core. And that's just in his head. It's something he came up with to make it so that he can figure out what 10 times 12 is. And, you know, that's that's amazing. And surprise, surprise, I've gotten totally off of uh, off the topic here. But my point being is... The government, the state, has your kid for 13 years. They are they're conditioning your child to believe that you need them. They're conditioning your child to show up every morning at a certain time, take their lunch at a certain time, do the work that they've been assigned, ask for permission to go to the restroom, and then they go home at a certain time, they eat their supper, brush their teeth, go to bed, they get up the next day, they do it all again. That works out perfect for government, right? Because they get perfect little taxpayers. They don't teach them a whole lot. You know, they don't teach them how to be really critical thinkers. How can they? One person, one teacher has... 20 or 30 kids, some of them are, you know, on the upper end of the intelligence scale, and then some are at the lower end, and then you have all sorts that are in between. It's kind of like that representative government. I don't know how one person is supposed to teach a room full of kids of varying skills when they're grouped together just because of age. If they were all grouped together because of intelligence or whatever, yeah, that might be a little better. You might be able to pull that off. But we expect them to 
we expect them to teach these kids and we treat all of the kids as though they are on the same intelligence level just because of their age. Don't get me started about how unnatural it is to group a bunch of kids together by age. It's That's a recipe for a disaster. You want to know why there's school shootings, violence in schools, bullying? It's because you're putting your kids together in a very unnatural arrangement. Kids weren't made to be put together thousands in one spot and expect them all to get along and then divide them all up by different ages and that's the group they're supposed to stick with and they're not really given a, a, a way to separate themselves from the people who are bullying them or the people that they don't like and they're forced they're forced to interact with the people that they don't like and you know in, in real life we don't do that you know you don't like your neighbor you don't you don't have to spend eight hours a day with your neighbor if you don't like your neighbor you know, you just don't do that. You go find a different neighbor, right? But we don't... I, I keep saying we. Society, American culture, doesn't allow their kids to do that. It's it's the perfect conditioning so that the, so that the kids will be able to keep these politicians, these rulers, in power. And, and it's forced on them from five years old, some cases pre-K, all the way until they graduate out of that system, and then they get thrown into a totally different meat grinder if they want to pursue any higher education. If not, they go to work at a factory or whatever job you know that they get, and they pay taxes. And, you know, okay, so the way they've been printing money here lately, I don't even know why anybody has to pay taxes anymore, right? Because they just keep printing it which is horrible for inflation. And somehow or another, they're just now figuring this out. Too. I mean, you double the money supply, and then you wonder why inflation spikes like it does. But, um, you know, completely different topic. If anybody wants to talk to me about that, though, let me know. Send me an email, frontporchanarchast at gmail.com, or, you know, just reach out on Facebook, MeWe, Twitter if you must. Um float app I'm on float as well and let me know about the other things you might want to talk about but right now I'm just going to stick with this whole anarchy and and trying to make it a little less scary and I, I hope so far I am trying to make it I have made it a little less scary because it's just no rulers it's pretty simple I don't understand I don't understand the desire to tell your neighbor what to do. And, you know, people are going to hear me say that, and they're going to be like, well, well, I don't want to tell my neighbor what to do. In certain circumstances, you probably don't, but there's probably a few circumstances where you do want to tell your neighbor what to do, and you hear people complaining about their neighbors all the time. I'm pretty lucky. I don't have a lot of beefs with my neighbors, but, you know, I don't have any that are really close to me. Got a big empty cow pasture on one side of me. The other side, there's a seven-acre cow pasture, plenty of trees, or two different tree lines between me and the other neighbor. The, the neighbor on my uh, south side is across a road and, I don't know, an eighth of a mile away, right, with plenty of trees in between us. Now, there are a lot of cars that come through here, 
But they just keep going for the most part. Except the people that I do want to interact with, they do stop here. I have people stop by here all the time introducing themselves. Hey, like what you're doing around there, you know, want to show me what you're doing? Are you doing this? And Could you use this? Could you use that? Or, you know, do you have some of this that I could use? Do have one neighbor, has a dog. It's a big dog. And soon after they got the dog, dog came up on me. It was growling, barking. And I don't really have time for that. I have kids. I don't really want. You know, I don't trust their kid, their their dogs around my kids, their dog around my kids. Do have a fenced-in yard, and you know they've told us before that the dog's not aggressive. Like I said, though, the dog has run up on me barking before, and I mean, usually when I yell at it, it'll take off running. So I don't have a problem with those neighbors either, because for the most part, they keep the dog up. I've got a dog that's a flight risk. I do everything in the world I can to keep him up. And it is a chore. So, I, you know, I understand. Your dog's going to run every now and then. Um, you know, I have chickens, though. My chickens all stay in my yard. They're not out bothering anybody else. I'd appreciate it, you know, if there weren't strange dogs running around here uh, with my kids. Especially dogs that are as big as that one. He's, it's not that he's all that big. He's just really long-legged, so it makes him stand up tall. Probably a great dog. But that's not my point. My point is, I don't want to tell my neighbor that they have to keep their dog on a, you know, in a fenced-in yard. I don't want to tell them that they have to, uh, you know, put some kind of a electric fence up or something to keep the dog in. That's not my thing. If I have a problem with the dog, I'll either have to take care of the dog or I'll have to go have a conversation with them and just say, hey, what can we work out? Right? I mean, it sounds pretty simple. I don't get this mentality where people want, where they want to be able to tell their, their neighbors how tall their grass has to be, or what color their house can be, or how many cars can be parked in the driveway, or if a car can be parked in front of their house on the street. You know, I don't get that mentality. I don't get the mentality of wanting to tell your neighbor what they can smoke. That's them. That's their thing. Well, Richard, what if, uh, you know, what if they're smoking crack and then they go steal something to pay for their crack addiction? Okay, the problem there isn't the crack. The problem there is when they steal. It's just like when cars, uh, people complain about speeding cars. It's not the speeding car that that causes a problem because you see people speeding all the time, right? It's the sudden stopping, the crashing that is the problem. Crashing into somebody else, actually causing property damage, that's what causes the problem. So instead of trying to control the behavior of your neighbors, why not just address the behavior that's actually causing the damages? This dog out here running around isn't causing me any damages yet. I mean, I don't think it has anyway. I have no proof that it's caused me any, any real damages. Uh, one time I had to jump up in the back of the truck when the dog came up on me. But, you know, I yelled at it. It took off running. I'm not even sure the dog would have hurt me had I been, uh, you know, had it came all the way up on me. Some dogs are just, you know, they growl and carry on, even bark at you even while you're petting them. So why not just address the bad behavior, like the behavior that actually, the behavior of causing the crash? Or... You know, the dog bites you, then you address that. 
I don't understand why we would want to stop somebody from smoking crack when it's their body, their crack, they're smoking it. As long as, you know, as long as they're not forcing me to smoke the crack, I don't understand why smoking crack is something I have a say in. If they're stealing from me, I have a I have a say in that. If they're stealing from my neighbor and my neighbor wants me to help out with that, then that's my problem, right? That stealing is my problem. It's not the smoking the crack that's the problem. And really, in a state of anarchy, condition of anarchy, that's what that's realistically what you're looking at. You're you're looking at individuals governing themselves deciding how they are going to live their life and if they keep someone else from doing it from from doing the same if they try to do something that is going to keep a person from living their life as they see fit then then there's a problem not really sure how clear I was on that I'm not taking notes here I, I couldn't take them if I wanted to because I don't have the lights on or anything like that but but the biggest difference between this state of anarchy where people are governing themselves and the state as in government is that you have a group of people who make up some arbitrary rules and they force it on to the rest of the people using this representative government, which is a load of crap, in my opinion. Well, Richard, there has to be to be laws, right? I mean... There, there has, there has to be laws. How would we function without laws? There would be rules in anarchy, and I think though that they would just boil down to the very basics, like don't murder, don't steal, don't assault, right? And assault could be like hitting people. It could be sexual assault, whatever. You know it. Pretty much keep your hands to yourself would be the, you know, that's kind of the, the basic motto. You keep your hands to yourself. If you don't, somebody is going to take care of it. The victim or the, the, or the people who the victim designate to help them. So, you know, your neighbor and your neighbor is getting beaten or something during a home invasion, whatever, you go over, you help your neighbor. Or maybe your neighbor, like we talked about earlier, maybe your neighbor has subscribed to some sort of security service. You know, they've got some kind of a, an alarm and a button, and, uh, you know, they're being robbed, so they push a button, and the security service shows up and helps them out. What if they get killed? We have, Who speaks for the victim? Well, you got the same people going to speak for the victim, as we're going to help the victim out. To me, that sounds pretty simple. Well, what about the people who can't afford those services? You know, that's going to suck. And in that case, if you can't afford that kind of, you know, you can't afford the 30 or 50 bucks a month for that, you're going to have to figure out how you can build relationships with people that will help you. I know that's a novel idea, but that's what you're going to have to do. Maybe you want to move to a community where it's more tight-knit and, you know, everybody knows everybody and everybody's willing to help everybody. 
that was a lot of everybody's. But, you know, you may have to do that. So that's pretty much my philosophy on practical anarchy, right? Is just, you leave other people alone. You do your thing, you leave other people alone to do their thing. If someone is, is forcing themselves or their opinions onto someone else, then it's time to step in and to take care of that business. So Richard, what would it look like in an anarchist world? Well, you know, I don't really know what it would look like. Um, we know what it looks like in an authoritarian world. I'm not real thrilled with the way that turned out. You know, I mean, North Korea, China, Russia. Those are just a few I can think of right off the top of my head. You know, pre-World War II Germany. 200 and some odd years of, of the um, American experiment. 200 years of voting, you know, it's kind of got us to a weird place where government agents can pull you over and then shoot and kill you and suffer no consequences for that. Or the U.S. military invades some other country and kills thousands of people, spends billions of dollars or trillions of dollars, and then just withdraws. Without fixing anything, why did they even go there? You know, authoritarianism, you might want to say that it's worked, but from where I'm sitting, it hasn't worked all that well. I can come up with example after example of, you know, of some of the failures. And yes, the United States is much better than most other places, right? I'm not going to disagree with that. People say I should go move to North Korea or whatever. Why should I move to North Korea? This is... This is the best there is, but why can't it be better? 200 years, 250 years, whatever, of voting hasn't made it any better. It's just imposed more and more arbitrary rules. How tall your grass can be, how loud your car can be, how fast you can drive on the road, even though you're not crashing into anybody, how many chickens you can have. Don't get me started on the taxes, because when it's all said and done, how how much of your income goes to taxes? You know, when you start adding in sales tax and property tax, you have to pay the government to condition your kid for 13 years? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'm not looking for free stuff. Roads cost money. Somebody would have to pay for that. I get that. You and I are just going to disagree on how that could be funded. I don't even have a problem with paying for the roads through gas. Believe it or not, I don't. I'm not sure why it's called a gas tax. You know, and in an anarchist society, it wouldn't be called a gas tax. It would just be figured out into the price of gas because the gas company is going to want cars to be driving on the roads. Or they have been all of these years. It might be the electrical companies that want cars driving on the roads um, in the future, for all I know. It's going to be the businesses who need the cars to travel back and forth on the roads that want to help pay for the roads. Or the businesses that need to get merchandise or products back and forth into and out of 
these locations, they need roads. So maybe it's worked into the price of the um, the final retail price of whatever they're producing. You know, Walmart's going to need roads because if you can't get to a Walmart, Walmart is going to take a huge hit in their business model because part of it is people go there and buy stuff. Even if people don't go to Walmart, if people get their stuff delivered from Walmart, Walmart is still going to need the roads. Until a time when they can deliver everything by drones. So I've talked about the basics of anarchy. Anarchy just means no masters. Now, there are people that's going to listen to this episode and they're going to disagree with me about anarchy because even in the anarchist communities, believe it or not, there's a lot of strife in these anarchist communities. People want to talk about how anarchy is supposed to happen, what it's supposed to look like. That you know, but that's the trick with anarchy. It's just no rulers, no masters, nobody telling you how you have to live your life. But even even with people who have a an anarchist mindset, there's still people who want to control others. I call these people the hyphenated anarchists because they'll call themselves something like anarcho-communists. And if you think about that one, anarcho-communist, it's a oxymoron, right? I mean, how can you how could you consider yourself an anarchist, a person who believes in no rulers, no masters, that kind of thing, no government, and also be a communist? Anarchy is simply no rulers, no masters. It really wouldn't be that scary. Businesses would still operate. Oh, but they wouldn't be safe. Well, Maybe 200 years ago they wouldn't have been safe, but after 200 years of of enjoying the the ability to go to a store and buy your eggs or your meat and not really have to worry about being poisoned by it. I mean, you still do, right? I just saw a recall for some peanut butter. But after 200 years, enjoying 200 years of this, Do you think just all of a sudden that uh, Jif peanut butter is going to never worry about quality again? Oh, sure. There's going to be different businesses that pop up that certify stuff, and medical schools would still go ahead and uh, certify people to be doctors, that kind of thing. But hey, if you want to go see the guy who, uh, you know, he's 90 years old, and he's always worked with animals all of his life, and you know, you break your arm and you're like, hey, I know, I've known this guy for 45 years. I'm just going to go down there and he's going to set my arm. In an anarchist society, you could do that. You know, if you get uh, blood poisoning and your arm falls off, it's it's on you. You know, you and him work it out. If he told you up front that, you know, you get blo- you could get blood poisoning from this then and die. Well, you know, that's kind of on you. You should have worked it out. You know, you should have done your research, right? Anarchy's not the scary not the scary um, scenario that your that your politicians and your businessmen lead you to believe. It's just it's just the absence of the state. And <laughs> without it, they would be without power. They would lose the control that they have. I hope that I have made anarchy a little less scary for you. 
I've, I've talked a lot longer than I had planned on. You can probably hear that in my voice, but I, I hope I've made it a little less scary. Maybe opened your eyes a little bit to the possibility that life would be possible without the state. And I've probably said some things that that you just cannot, um, you you think I'm an idiot. You know, you, you hear me say it and you're yelling at the device that you're listening to me through and just telling me how much of an idiot I am. And then some of the things that I said, maybe you were thinking, well, you know, he might have a point there. And then some of the things I said, you probably, even one or two of them, maybe, maybe you thought about it and you said, you know what? He's right. I agree with that. Maybe I'm an anarchist. Kind of joking about that because I would imagine the majority of the people who who have listened or who have found me, I doubt they're ready to call themselves anarchists. With the negative connotations that come along with it, it's hard to just go up and introduce yourself as an anarchist. I'm not, you know, that's not what I do. I don't walk up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Richard. I'm an anarchist. It's a lot easier to do an anonymous podcast like this. But yeah, I get it why we don't go telling people we're anarchists because, you know, people look at you a little funny. Voluntarist, voluntarist, uh, those are two ways that people describe them, often describe themselves when they are, in fact, anarchists. Think about the um, the anarchist decal starter pack there. If you would like to, um, if you'd like to purchase one of those from me, send me an email at frontporchanarchist at gmail.com. You can get in touch with me through the Facebook page. You can go to Gray Uncommons on Facebook. That's Gray with an A. And then, um, you know, if you want to, I still have a problem with this, but if you would like to just donate to the podcast, click on that link for uh, to buy me a coffee there that's in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this, and uh, you can donate some money there. Eventually, I'm going to set up a Patreon. Eventually, I'm going to have to set up a Patreon if I'm going to keep doing this because, like I said, it takes time. I've been doing this now. I've been at this for an hour and 40 minutes, and... When you listen to it, it's probably going to be an hour long. So I'm going to cut out 40 minutes of this. And that's a lot of editing. But I do appreciate you sticking all the way through here. For those of you who are convinced I'm an idiot still, that's your prerogative. Feel free to tell me how much of an idiot I am. I One thing I've left out of this is if there's something that you want to say to me, there's a real easy way for you to actually say it to me. You know, I don't do this live, so you can't call in, and I don't have like a uh, a number that you can call in and leave me a voicemail. But what you can do, you go to Anchor, which is A N C H O R dot F M slash Front Porch Anarchist, and from there you can click on a button to leave me a voicemail. It's pretty cool. It's pretty simple. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from a tablet. You can do it from a laptop. You can do it from desktop. As long as you've got a microphone and the microphone on your phone counts as a microphone, you can just click a button. You can tell me how wrong I am. You can tell me that there were some things that you agreed with, or you can tell me that I'm completely right. It's really that simple. If you want me to use that in a uh, in an upcoming episode, just let me know in the voicemail or send me a or 
when you send me an email or whatever, just let me know if I can use it, and I'll try to work that in. Also, I'm always, you know, I'm a, I'm a struggling entrepreneur myself, so if you are a freedom-minded person and you have a small business or you have a product or a service that you offer, let me know about it so that I can mention it in an upcoming episode of Front Porch Hammercast, assuming that that you would want the name of your uh, business or assuming that you would want your product or service associated in some way, even if it's just me talking about it, with Front Porch Anarchist. Okay, I've talked entirely too long. Thank you for sticking with me as long as you have. I hope it's not that long until the next episode. Have a great night. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast of the Front Porch Anarchist. Like and share our page or send us a message at Front Porch Anarchist on Facebook.